Several of you were not able to be here at the first service, but you're here at the second, and we are dealing with the second of three transcendent, stupendous events listed for us in John 12, 31 and 32. Sometimes the Bible lists transcendent events for us to appreciate. We have such a list in 1 Timothy 3.16 where Paul explains to Timothy what a church is to be the pillar and ground of. For without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. These are six great things that we are to defend and uphold and promote about Jesus Christ. God was manifest in the flesh, justified the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. All about our Lord Jesus Christ. John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Not the future judgment, but the judgment of Jesus Christ going to the cross and what he did to this world after the cross, which we've spent the last month covering. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. That's the second event that we're dealing with today. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me, is the third event, his Roman crucifixion death, and the effect that had on Gentiles throughout the world. He would draw all kinds of men to him, far greater than just the Jews. I appreciate those of you that have said to me that you enjoyed the verses I shared with you on Wednesday evening before Nathan took the pulpit, and I shared with you in an update about from Isaiah 49, verses 5 and 6, that God knew Jesus would fail for the most part with the Jewish nation, but yet I will glorify thee anyway, and it is a light thing if you were to convert Israel, because it was the smallest of all nations, according to God's own testimony, but I will make you for a light of the Gentiles to the ends of the earth. And here we are so far away from the Middle East, and yet here we are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ and giving him glory, and we are the fulfillment of these great events. Preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. It's an incredible thing that came out of Israel by, for the most part, fishermen who when they opened their mouths, they knew that they had not completed a very long course of study, but were unlearned and ignorant men, the Bible says, but they knew that they had been with Jesus by what they would teach. Okay, we've got to get back to the devil. Michael the archangel, who is one of the chief princes of the principalities and powers, thrones, might, and dominion of the angelic realm. These words are used repeatedly in the New Testament to describe the ranks of angels. Principalities is the domain of a prince. That's why it's called a principality. Powers, thrones, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come, Jesus is far above them all. And the Bible tells us that. But the Bible also tells us that Michael is a superior to Gabriel. And that Michael is a chief prince in Daniel chapter 10 that came and rescued, helped rescue Gabriel from a devilish spirit that was in the Persian Empire. And so we saw politics at the highest levels. And they're higher levels than anyone deals with at Columbia or any other school that gives itself to political science. Michael would not bring a railing accusation against the devil. Michael does not have rank to rebuke the devil. He could only say, the Lord rebuke thee. That is found in Jude 1.9. Because the devil and Michael had a fight about the body of Moses. The Bible tells us that. And Michael could only say, the Lord rebuke thee. We were in Luke 4 so that I could show you that Jesus Christ doesn't have to say, the Lord rebuke thee. Luke 4 and verse 8, Jesus answered and said unto him, that is to the devil, get thee behind me, Satan. Yes, 
We love those words. Get thee behind me, Satan. Who do you think you are tempting me like that? Get behind me. Follow the leader. Do you know who you're talking to? Get thee behind me. In his humiliation. When he was on earth in a humbled position. He hadn't been glorified yet. He hadn't been promoted yet. He wasn't seated at God's right hand yet. But they knew already. And the devil didn't object that if Jesus said, get thee behind me, that's what he was supposed to do. Now Shane came and told me that I had shorted Luke 4. So we want to give it its due honor. And the Lord Jesus Christ, beginning at verse 33 of Luke 4, he did it respectfully. He didn't want the Lord shorted, and I will never complain. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. Jesus of Nazareth is causing trouble. He's preaching truth. Devils can't stand truth. Truth, when a man stops opposing himself and believes truth, he is able to deliver himself from the snare of the devil who's taken captive by him at his will. Jesus is healing and Jesus is preaching truth. Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. They knew who Jesus was better than the world does. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace. Come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, some of my favorite words in the Bible, What a word is this? With an exclamation point, For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. What a word is this? Because of authority and power, he could command the devils to come out, not hurt the man, and hold their peace, and stop preaching themselves. Jesus would take care of the true doctrine about himself. They were there declaring that he was the Holy One of God, and he was indeed that. But this gets us back on track for finishing out what we can do in the minutes we have about our Lord Jesus Christ casting out the devil. In John 12, and look at it briefly, just so that you have it there in in your eyes mind, John chapter 12 and verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. He was lifted up because he died a Roman death, not a Jewish death. A Jewish death would have been stoning. A Roman death was by crucifixion. And by his crucifixion, he drew all kinds of men, all the Gentiles to him that are the subject here matter that started in verse 20 when Greeks came to meet Jesus at this feast. Now we are in the last couple days of his life. And he's announcing to us three things that are going to happen for his glory. That God has yet to glorify him more than God had glorified him during his life. And these are the three events he wants us to focus on and we're on the middle one of now shall the prince of this world be cast out. The context is our Lord's crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And those things are mentioned here beginning in verse 1 of this chapter when it tells us, John chapter 12, six days before the Passover. So we know we're in the final week of his life before he lays down his life for us. The timing in this Immediate context of verses 20 through 33 are words like the hour had come, the use of now twice, and the near future shall in the middle of this verse. The connected events are judging the world and drawing men to Christ by his death. Therefore, we consider only events resulting from and in close timing to his death as we look at the fulfillment of these three descriptive phrases. We also see that the emphasis is on the gospel and it among Gentiles by the context. And what a change that was. 
For 4,000 years, God had winked at us idiotic Gentiles worshiping every conceivable thing from heavenly bodies in the sky to bugs on earth, creeping things. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1. We would honor creeping things, but not the creator of the creeping things. And so God blinded our hearts and blinded our minds because the truth of creation is visible and available to even reprobates. But they rebel against a God that tells them how they ought to live. And so they rejected him. And God for 4,000 years said, when Paul preached to the philosophers in Athens, Greece, that God winked at your ignorance. I love Paul. He's in Athens, the center of learning. He's with the philosophers on Mars Hill. And he said, God has winked at your ignorance. And him whom you ignorantly worship, I declare unto you by their foolish altar to the unknown God. He said, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. I love Paul. He's our apostle. And he was taking the world apart, starting in Athens, Greece, in Acts chapter 17. And then he preached Jesus to them and said, God has appointed a man that is going to judge you, and God has given assurance to all men in that he has raised him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ resulted in his ascension and resulted in his coronation at the right hand of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. Paul summarized that to the men on Mars Hill. They mocked him for preaching the resurrection, but some of those got up and walked out with him, and we thank God for that. Other aspects of Satan remain much the same, but for conversions taking place in every nation and Satan no longer having access to heaven because Jesus Christ is there and the two of them don't fit. The devil's been reduced to this earth. Satan was cast out of heaven, but we included related events about that as well. Remember, I've tried to show you that though it says... When I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. It wasn't just his being lifted up, but also his burial, also his resurrection, also his ascension, also his coronation. It wasn't just death, because without the resurrection, his death is worthless. 1 Corinthians 15 teaches us that, that if Christ be not raised from the dead, we are yet in our sins. So we've got to connect related events because the Lord is summarizing it for us with just part or one of those events. Let's first identify some events or errors not intended in this passage. The Bible tells us to rightly divide the word of truth. So let's look at some things that didn't happen because of the cross. He was not cast out of his office because that had occurred a long time before. He didn't keep his first estate. Let's look at Jude 1.6 and just see that verse for ourselves. Jude and its single chapter and verse 6. The angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. So we, th- we see about three aspects of the devil. He lost the estate God gave him, and the estate God gave him was the highest created being in the universe until Jesus Christ. And when I say, when I compare Jesus Christ to a created being, I hope that you're able to understand I mean his mediatorial position as the God-man. There's one man between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus as a man is our Redeemer. God couldn't save us by himself. He had to raise up his son to save us with flesh and blood. He took on him the nature of the seed of Abraham so that he could die for us and destroy the works of the devil. Because we were all our times life subject to bondage through fear of death. The fear of death is what motivates men to kill themselves or to kill others in order to gain eternal life. They're afraid of dying. It's what causes women to thumb beads and say the rosary and to give their husbands a state 
to buy candles in a Roman Catholic church to get their husband freed from purgatory and into heaven. It's the fear of death. But the Lord Jesus delivered us from that. And here we have the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation. The devil and the third of the angelic host left the position that God gave them serving him in heaven to follow the devil. They left their first estate. The first estate was what God created them for. They left their own habitation. They had a place in heaven for them. They left it. He's reserved them in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. They are restrained in their activities from what they once did. And they're restrained for a future day in which they're going to be cast into the lake of fire that we saw in Matthew 25. So we just want, in one verse, we can see the change that took place with the devil. And what we wanted to see is that he, was all, he had already lost his office. He wasn't going to lose his office because of the Lord Jesus. He'd already lost it. He was not cast out of all men, for he was in men later. When we read the book of Acts, which is after our Lord's crucifixion and resurrection, he's still in men, and he is still confusing and confounding and blinding men, as the Bible teaches us. He wasn't cast out of the earth, for he's still very active in it, and the Bible tells us that in the New Testament. He wasn't cast out of influence, for he still tempts men. Still. Let me look, let me show you a couple of those. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, this is going to be a practical discussion. It won't last long, but it needs to be said to remind you about the devil. I want you to know that the devil has access to your bedroom. And that's okay, because if you're doing things God's way, it will cause him to know that you're a son of God and he'll leave you alone. If you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. I want to make him as personal as possible. And I'm going to make him personal now by two examples from the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Everyone ought to get married. Verse 2, to avoid fornication. Verse 3, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. That's a euphemism for sexual lovemaking whenever, wherever, however, and how often this other spouse wants it. And likewise also the wife unto the husband. Do benevolence. The benevolence is loving kindness in sex. Do is what you owe your spouse. Verse 4 explains it. The wife hath not power of her own body. She doesn't have the right to her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power or authority or rights or privileges of his own body, but the wife has them. Defraud ye not one the other, that is, to ever defraud, that is, to keep back sex that your spouse wants or needs. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that means you two mutually agree upon it, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And I've never known very many Christians to fast or pray for a week. And come together again that Satan tempts you not for your incontinency. Satan will know when you are not having proper, ordinary, scriptural, marital relations and be able to tempt you for being incontinent sexually. It's in the Word of God. It's right there. Try to overthrow it. He has access to your bedroom, but it's okay. The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him as well. And the Lord Jesus Christ takes care of us and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. So this is an example of the devil's activities that yet remain. He still tempts men. Now look at 2 Corinthians 2 and let me get another personal part of your lives. And that is your relationships. How quickly and completely do you forgive other people? Because if you don't forgive others, you give the devil an avenue into your life. You give him place in your life. If you don't quickly and completely forgive others... No one has ever hurt you. You are a dreamer. You have hurt God 10,000 talents. And the most that anyone can do to you, in God's opinion, is 100 pence. Why don't you just forget about it and forgive them? Because here's the warning. Let me give you the text, and then we'll back into it. Verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 2. 
lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. There's a lot in that verse. Satan can get an advantage of us since the cross. Now, today, he can get an advantage of us. Does Satan need an advantage with one of us? He doesn't need an advantage. He's already stronger than we are. He's already smarter than we are. But he can get an advantage of us. And Paul said, we know his devices. What was he from the beginning? A murderer from the beginning. So he loves strife and conflict and a lack of forgiveness. So when we look at 11, Satan can get an advantage of us because he's got devices, but the Bible tells us about these devices. So we back up. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Is there an F word in verse 10 that occurs more than once? What is that word? Forgive, forgive, forgave, forgave. Four times. And this is because the apostle here is telling the Corinthian church, you excluded that incestuous fornicator in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now you put him outside the church and you turned him over to Satan for the destruction of his fleshly lusts. But now that you put him out, his grief is about to swallow him up. And now it's time for you to show some mercy toward him. So verse 6, sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. Churches exclude sinning members. And pastors don't do it. Churches do it. It was a punishment inflicted of many. And it's sufficient now. So that contrary wise, opposite the way you have been treating him while you've been shunning him, so that contrarywise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. So forgive him, comfort him, and love him. Now, who's your, who, who's your enemy right now? Who, you got an enemy? A sibling? A spouse? A spouse can be your enemy from time to time. A parent? A child? A neighbor? A colleague, a church member? Who are you upset at? Who haven't you forgiven? Forgive them. They haven't asked me. They don't need to. God didn't ask you when he sent Jesus Christ to the cross. Forgive them. Comfort them. Love them. Because if you don't, Satan will take advantage of you because that is one of his devices. Broken relationships. Messed up relationships. Satan wasn't cast out of religion because he still deceives many as the God of this world. Jesus defeated Satan at the cross and took his seat in heaven with power over the earth. Now Jesus Christ rules and the devil's under him. Jesus came the way that he did and died the way that he did to destroy Satan. Look at Hebrews 2. I've quoted it, but I want you to see it. Hebrews 2 and verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, that's you and me, the children of God, he also himself, Jesus, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that's flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The devil had the power of death. The devil can't kill anyone unless God lets him kill someone. God told the devil in Job chapter 1, you can have Job's stuff, just don't touch Job. In Job chapter 2, you can have Job's health, but you can't have his life. The devil can't do anything without God letting him. But the devil had the power of death. How did the devil get the power of death over us? He got the power of death over us in the Garden of Eden. When God said, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die a threefold death. And he convinced our first parents to eat the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which brought us under the curse of death from God, but it was the devil's doing. It was his death arts in Eden. And the first Adam took our race down. 
and it's conveyed to everyone. And the reason babies die is because they're bound by that covenant that God made with Adam. But the Lord Jesus Christ took flesh and blood so that he could suffer death and through death destroy him that had the power of death. The devil loves death. The devil loves murderous mayhem. And the devil had the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and he died. But by his death, I showed you from Colossians 2.15, he made an open show of the devil, triumphing over him in it by dying on the cross. And we rejoice in that fact. Jesus defeated the devil's temptations. He wasn't moved in the wilderness after his baptism. He wasn't vulnerable to the devil. We, sh- we saw the verse earlier today. I'm running out of time and you all know that. We saw the verse earlier today that Jesus said, Satan hath nothing in me. He's got plenty in you and he's got plenty in me. But he's got nothing in the Lord Jesus. There was nothing to tempt the Lord Jesus with. Jesus fulfilled Genesis 3.15. God told the devil in Genesis 3.15, there's going to be enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. That seed's going to bruise your head and you'll bruise his heel. Not her heel, his heel. The Catholics, in their do-way reams version of the Old Testament, have it her heel in Genesis 3.15. If you go to the world's most unusual university that's in this city and take a tour of their Roman Catholic art gallery, you will see pictures of Mary standing on the head of a snake because it's Roman Catholic art. And to a Roman Catholic, who defeated the devil? Mary. That's why they say ten Hail Marys and a rosary, that string of 55 beads that you go through three times for 165 prayers, you say ten Hail Marys to every one, our Father which art in heaven, because Mary's their Savior. And they can say whatever they want to about trusting Jesus. Just go look at their prayer beads. They're liars when they say that they don't trust Mary for salvation. But it's not the, the, it's not the woman. It was the seed of the woman. His heel. That's a singular male pronoun. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Lord Jesus Christ came to do that. And he's got more to do. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's rejoice in this. I mentioned it. I mentioned this in the first service, but I want to say it again and show it to you. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Women got themselves in a world of hurt in the Garden of Eden because they listened to the devil. Now the man was the real transgressor there because he did it presumptuously because he preferred Eve to God. Eve didn't do it presumptuously. She did it ignorantly, showing the weakness of her character. And so God punished her with painful conception. and Conception ain't very painful. But conception and childbearing, where the Bible wraps it all together, being pregnant with a baby and giving birth to a baby, it ravages a woman's body in certain respects. And that was a judgment. But look at what the Bible wants us to know when the New Testament shines its light upon this fact. Verses, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 put the woman under the man's authority just like Genesis 3 does in verse 16. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man but to be in silence. And then it's explained why. There's two reasons. One, verse 13, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. Eve was made to be a helper of Adam, and the order of creation is very important. The woman was made for the man, not the man for the woman, and it's all summarized right there from Genesis chapter 2. That's the first reason that the woman is not to teach. Second reason is in verse 14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. She actually believed the devil who said God's got a secret that he doesn't want you to be as wise as he is, so he's told you not to eat off that tree. She believed that. And so then the curse came upon women. But what about the Lord Jesus Christ for women? After putting the woman in a place of subjection in verses 11 and 12 and explaining why by two reasons in verses 13 and 14, notwithstanding... 
in spite of what she did, and I love all my sisters, and you are equal heirs of eternal life. There is no male or female in Christ Jesus. And the little woman over here is not going to be my wife in heaven. Let's just get that over with. It's a pity, but the Lord's got something better for you, and that won't take a whole lot of creative power. <laughs> notwithstanding, I love this word. Remember notwithstanding? Do you like that word? Or nevertheless? Nevertheless, over there in Ezekiel 16, sorry. I'm just thinking of all those inspired disjunctives that we have in the Bible. They're wonderful. Notwithstanding, she, who is this singular woman? It's a collective noun for all women. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. Do Christians ever die giving birth? Absolutely. Did it hurt? Any women want to raise their hands and say, yes, it hurt? So that's not, her, that's not your childbearing. That's someone else's childbearing. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. What are those conditions? Faith, charity, and holiness with sobriety? The conditions of one of God's elect women. That's what they live like. How will she be saved in childbearing? The childbearing of the woman. It's the seed of the woman that was the promises of Genesis 3 and the perfect fulfillment of 1 Timothy chapter 2. The seed of the woman. She'll be saved by the very thing God cursed because of her sin. Childbearing. She brought Jesus into this world. She was pregnant. She gave birth. It was a first birth. She went through everything that a woman goes through in birth. But that infant that lay in that manger was the savior of the world and destroyed the devil. And the devil tried to destroy him by having all the babies killed in the area around Bethlehem by Herod, but didn't succeed because God had already taken his little child down to Egypt. And it goes on to save our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you, Lord. Look at Revelation chapter 20. There's more to follow. There's things that happened after the cross. Let's go to 12 first. Revelation chapter 12. Because there was war in heaven. The woman is the church in this place. The pure church of Jesus Christ. It, it tells us in verse 4 that the serpent who was behind the Roman Empire drew the third part of the stars of heaven who are the angels and did cast them to the earth pulled them down out of their first estate and their habitation in heaven, like we read in Jude 1.6. And the church was ready to be delivered of a child that they had waited for 4,000 years to deliver because he was promised in Genesis 3 but didn't come until Luke 1 and 2 when he, the Lord Jesus Christ was born. And she, that is the church, brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That's the ascension of Jesus Christ and his coronation in heaven. The seed of the woman, the man, Christ Jesus, a body. Remember this morning, Colossians 2.9? For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead, in a body. And we go, we read about the woman, verse 6, are the 1,260 years of the dark ages when papal Rome persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. Verse 7 is what I want right now for today. There was war in heaven. This Star Wars. Did we see a Star Wars cake recently? It's okay. I meant that with a big smile on my face. I'm always not, I'm, I'm never smiling in the pulpit. There isn't time to smile. There was war in heaven. This is incredible. Jesus has arrived. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. Those angels tell us what the stars are back there in verse 3 and 4. Right. This was, there's a great red dragon. It's the, pagan, it's the Roman Empire. First pagan, then papal. When the crowns are on the heads... It's pagan, like right here. When the crowns are on the horns, like in the first verse of chapter 13, it's papal Rome. It's the enemy of the church of Jesus Christ. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. 
neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. When Jesus arrived in heaven, the devil was thrown out of heaven, called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, because now the gospel went into the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, and this has been heard for 2,000 years now, now is come salvation. When did salvation arrive? After Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven. Amen. Same kind of singing as in Revelation 5, which is where Jesus arrived after ascending out of the presence of the apostles. Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. And that's a description of martyrs that gave their lives during the dark ages of Europe. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Not 2,000 years later, like Hal Lindsey and others want us to think about everything and it's stuck in the future. God has shown us the crown of the road when it comes to prophecy. We are not futurists with all the prophecies in the future, and we are not preterists with all the prophecies fulfilled in 70 AD at the destruction of Jerusalem. We know that some things were fulfilled at the destruction of Jerusalem, and we know some things are yet to be fulfilled, but we're in the crown of the road to see all that was fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. When he said, it is finished, there were things finished, and there were things that commenced with that event. And this is one of them. The devil was cast out of heaven. Jesus spoiled principalities and powers, as Colossians 2 tells us. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. There's nothing to be laid to the charge of God's elect since Jesus died, Romans 8.33. Jesus raided the strong man's palace. Let's look at 20 and we'll forget about 20. Revelation chapter 20. Since we're in the book of Revelation, let's look at it. It happened simultaneously with the devil being cast out of heaven, he was also bound from his earthly activities. Now listen, he's still a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour on an individual basis, but he no longer controls the nations of the world, keeping the whole Gentile world in darkness. That's what he did for 4,000 years. He hasn't done it for 2,000 years, but he's going to be given a little space of time to do it again just before the Lord Jesus Christ returns. I'm asked all the time, are we in the little season before the coming of Jesus Christ? I don't know for sure, but I can see that there is a worldwide effort of hatred toward Bible Christianity, and it is mounting all the time. And that is what is described here about the devil gathering together his hosts, to come up against the camp of the saints to destroy them, but Jesus will destroy him. This is a symbolic chapter like all the chapters of Revelation. There isn't a real chain. It's not a literal thousand years. It's the period of time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ and that little... Let's see. We read timelines from left to right. So the little season that's over here at the end of that thousand years... The thousand years here is no more literal than it is in Psalm 50, where it says the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Right. Who owns the cattle on hill 1001? It's the Lord. Verse 1, I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more. This is the limitation. It's a specific limitation. Other things that he could do were left open. He would deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast. So we are talking about martyrs of the Roman Catholic Church that are living and reigning with Jesus Christ during the thousand years. Don't stick the thousand years someplace way out in the future. We've got Jesus reigning during the thousand years with the martyrs of the beast. And the beast is Rome. 
pagan, then papal, and it's there. And the first resurrection is how you get to reign with Jesus Christ. And the first resurrection is given to us by Jesus in a gospel written by the same writer of the book of Revelation, and that's regeneration. When we're born of the Spirit, we're, we're brought to life. Uh, John chapter 5 and verse 25, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Those that hear the life-giving voice of Jesus Christ live in regeneration. That's the first resurrection. On such, the second death hath no power. What is the second resurrection? The second resurrection is when Jesus raises all the dead bodies of the wicked and the righteous. The, the elect and the reprobates, are all going to be, their bodies are all going to be raised to be reunited with their spirits, some sent to everlasting torment, which is the second death of the lake of fire and others into the presence of God forever. But we're here in Revelation 20 about the binding of the devil from deceiving the nations. The nations for 4,000 years had worshipped idols. But as soon as Jesus took his throne, the devil was cast out. There was nothing to accuse God of the elect, for the elect again uh, anymore because there was nothing to be laid to their charge. And he was bound from deceiving the nations so that Jesus could send fishermen that according to their enemies, turned the world upside down. Look at Luke 11. Luke 11. I don't want to carry this over. So you're going to carry over. The clock's going to carry over a little bit. I would, and there's, there's a whole lot to be said, and we'll just say a little bit of it. But Luke, Luke 11, we can't deal with this subject without coming to Luke 11. Verse 14, and he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. That means it was a spirit of dumbness. The person that had this devil couldn't speak. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake. And the people wondered, but some of them said, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven, as if that wasn't good enough. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom, this is a principle of politics, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. Keep your families and homes united. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Satan isn't that foolish. He's got a united kingdom. He isn't casting out his, his own minions. Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. These little wicked gypsies that you have wandering around Israel that think that they're casting out devils, why don't you just weigh who's casting devils out by the power of God or who's using the power of the devil in a way of deception? You make your decision. It was the gypsies that were wrong. And a gypsy tried it, or tried to be a gypsy, in Acts chapter 19, when the devils said, We know Jesus, and we know Paul, but who are you? And one devil-possessed man jumped on seven gypsies, stripped them naked, and chased them into the street, which caused the whole city to fear. Verse 20, But if I, you can go ahead with your twisted, blasphemous reasoning, and I've just told you, that just by simple politics, Satan is not casting himself out. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is coming to you. And this is one of the verses why we understand that the kingdom of God arrived in this world 2,000 years ago, not sometime in the future. Right. And here's this explanation that we do rejoice in. When a strong man armed, when a strong man armed, keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. Remember Colossians 2.15? Jesus has spoiled principalities and powers. He pillaged and plundered the palace of the strong man who was strong man and armed but he was overcome by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ took away his goods. And those goods were you and me. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. And he goes on and describes more about the spirit realm of this world. But we wanted to know that. The devil is a strong man. And so I've presented him to you today as a strong man. He was a strong man armed. But Jesus is the stronger man. And Jesus overcame the devil and delivered us. Spoiled his goods. He had us. You know, we were there quite willingly. You all know that, don't you? We weren't there against our will. He didn't have us chained in his palace. We were saluting and kissing him. Because right. Ephesians 2 tells us that. We were following the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air. We were obeying him cheerfully, gladly. But Jesus came and delivered us from his control. Jesus would be able to say in Matthew 28, verse 18, just before he ascended into heaven, and he commissioned his apostles to preach everywhere, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That power had been delegated differently until Jesus of Nazareth came along. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. My power will be with you, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against you. You will be able to assault the gates of hell with my gospel and break through and save and spoil the devil's kingdom. And that is why we are here today. If it wasn't for the things I'm telling you right now, it wouldn't have happened. You can't see these. Remember, there are, invisible things are more important than visible things. If you can see it, it's not very important. If you can see it, it's temporal. If you can see it, it's all going to be burned up. If you can't see it, and I'm telling you about some things right now that you can't see with the naked eye, but I can see more clearly than I can with my naked <laughs> That doesn't say much anymore. My physical eye doesn't see that well anymore. But the eye of faith, by reading these things, describes events that are fantastic. Amen. You know, I like to read about World War II once in a while, and reading some of those accounts, you wonder, how much has this been embellished? I am reading an account that's not embellished at all. Right. It has been diluted a little bit to get it down to what we can comprehend. Right. Just, just take that for whatever you think it might be worth because we can't handle the full truth. We, Paul went to heaven and saw things that are not lawful for a man to utter. Right. Wait until you see Jesus of Nazareth. If you ever wonder why John, who knew him so intimately and laid on his bosom at supper, fell at his feet as dead in Revelation 1, wait till you see him. He is our, the captain of our salvation and the chief shepherd of our souls and the bishop of our souls and the cornerstone of our church and the head of our church. He is everything and it's all about him. Amen. He can open the hearts of Lydia, that they will attend unto the things spoken by an apostle out of Judea and be converted. He is the second Adam, undid all the work of the first Adam to destroy us. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. As condemning as those words that I gave you before, of one man's disobedience being the reason why babies die. That is why babies die. There is no such thing as an age of accountability. If there was ever an age of accountability, a baby would never die. But there is accountability in Adam. But there is accountability in the second Adam as well. And elect babies can live. And they do live. And David could say, being a prophet of his own son, he shall not return to me but I shall go to him. Satan still has a role in the world, but it is unlike his previous dominion over Gentiles. There's been devilish activity by Satan after the cross, but not the same. But brethren, we still have things that we're supposed to do to resist the devil. If you're not careful, even right now, he can snatch away God's word. If you don't pay attention and focus when preaching's being done, the word's being sown, the, the, the seed of, of God's word, the devil can come and snatch it away. And you wonder, 
you know, a couple of hours later, you can't even remember what the pastor preached. Even though when you heard it, you might have felt a little bit of conviction or being moved a little bit by it. He hindered the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote Thessalonica, the Thessalonica church in 1 Thessalonians 2.18 and said, I would have come to you sooner, but Satan hindered me. He's behind the Roman Catholic Church directly and indirectly. They preach doctrines of devils, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. The mystery of iniquity is the devil himself behind the Roman Catholic Church. It is the greatest enemy of Christianity in the Bible. Islam is not a great enemy of Christianity. I've hardly ever read about a Christian that's ever been tempted by Islam. But I have read about Christians that have been ruined by Catholicism. Resist the devil and he'll flee from us. He knows your personal habits. I've shown you a few of those. He expects women to be keepers of the home and to guide the house and not to be busybodies and not to be on social media. You know, we don't wander from house to house as much anymore. We just wander to our iPads and share things through social media. That is called a going after Satan by women in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 11 through 16. When you, when you women think that you have time to be playing around on social media when you could be doing something productive, just remember there's a passage of Scripture about you. It's 1 Timothy 5, 11 through 16. Go read it sometime about what God wants women to do with their time. The devil is still active is my whole point. Look at Romans 16. I'm almost there. Romans 16, because this is a future event. This is something that has not yet happened, but Paul wrote the Roman church in the shadow of the pagan Roman government and said, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. That is Romans 16 and verse 20. What a promise. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 2 and 3 tell us that we shall judge angels. Now there's nothing to judge about the elect and holy angels, but the fallen angels we shall judge. 1 Corinthians 6 and 2. Because we're brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. And he will own us as his brothers, the sons of God. The angels are not the sons of God, except in a very loose sense, like Adam was the son of God in Luke chapter 3. We are the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Satan's future is a delightful game of tease by Jesus Christ before his final total ruin. Satan thinks he gets away with something. He's getting away with nothing. Amen. Nothing. And he's going to be cast into the lake of fire that was prepared for him and his angels. The short time of Revelation chapter 12 is the 1260 years of church persecution. The little season of Revelation 20, we don't know how long it is. If it's 20 years or 200 years, we don't know. But it's after the papal persecution of the woman, and then the Lord Jesus Christ will throw the devil into the lake of fire. That didn't happen at the cross, but it commenced. It was initiated with what happened at the cross. Exorcism is an apostolic gift. We do not cast out devils in this church. That was a gift of the apostles. That went away with all their other gifts. What is left are bishops and deacons. And that those are the only two offices in the New Testament. And neither of them are ever taught to exorcise a demon or a devil. There is no word demon in the Bible. They're devils and spirits. No, we no sooner exorcise a devil, thinking that we're apostles, than we pour 10W30 on someone and think that we're going to heal them with the prayer of faith. That was an apostolic gift. Right. That is Mark 6 and verse 13, where the 70 were sent out with oil to anoint and heal the sick. And by the prayer of faith shall raise the sick. If a church has ever prayed over anyone after anointing oil and that person wasn't healed, that was a manifest declaration that their doctrine is heresy and they don't have the apostolic gift because the apostles never failed. We reject Roman Catholic exorcism games along with their anointing oil. If you are serious about devil possession in anyone that you know, the Bible tells us what to do. 
This kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. The problem with that verse is it's Matthew 17, 21, and it's not in the modern Bible versions, but it is in our King James Bible. Get rid of anything in your life that has anything to do with sorcery or witchcraft because that has to do with devil worship. Get rid of it. In Acts 19, those at Ephesus, when they heard about one devil-possessed man stripping seven exorcist gypsies of their clothes, great fear came on that city. And they heard that the devil said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know. They brought their books of witchcraft and burned them in the street, and the price of the books was 50,000 pieces of silver. Hate the horoscope. Hate anything to do with magic. I didn't say sleight of hand. I said magic. Merlin the magician. Anything to do with sorcery or witchcraft. Hate it and stay away from it. I came from a family of spiritists. My ancestors worshipped the devil directly. And I thank God for saving my paternal grandfather in 1928. Don't play with any of that stuff. And I thank God for a father that when I was a little boy, I was pounded about this stuff. Do you know what happened to me in the fifth grade when I came home and asked my father if I could have a Ouija board? How long do you think that conversation took? I remember it. Fifth grade, they introduced me to something called a Ouija board at school. Isn't that a great thing to get out of the public school system? A Ouija board. We don't even, forgive me for even, forgive me. Don't do anything like that. Right. Don't play with anything. You don't need your sign of the horoscope. You need Jesus Christ to have been born in the fullness of time to save your soul. Amen. If you give place to the devil or play with his temptations, consider your diabolical sins. Relational sins are devilish. Remember James 3? If ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, don't lie against the truth. This wisdom doesn't come from above. It's earthly, sensual, devilish. Relational sins. We must examine our spirits and hate anything different from Jesus Christ. Two apostles saw a village of Samaritans not treat Jesus very well. They are the sons of Zebedee. And they said, Lord, may we call fire down from heaven like Elisha did. And Jesus said, Ye know not what spirit ye are of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save. Let us make sure that we do not have that spirit of the sons of Zeruiah, David's nephews in the Old Testament, or the sons of Thunder in the New Testament. Think about how terrible your treason against Jesus Christ is to listen to Satan at all. When you play with Satan at all, directly or indirectly, witchcraft or just one of his temptations, you are committing treason against Jesus Christ. He is the captain and conqueror of this world. Do you know his preferred choices of music, entertainment, haunts where you should go and hang out? Whatever that means. The only one I know that went and hung out was Judas and Haman. They went and hung out. Do you know Jesus Christ's preferred choices of music and entertainment and things and places to go and what to do? Every time you listen to the devil, it's treason. It's the enemy of Jesus Christ. No wonder the Bible says if you're a friend of the world, you're the enemy of God. Think about how terrible your adultery against Jesus Christ is to love worldly things. He's our He's our groom. He's our bridegroom. And we're his chaste virgin. But are we his chaste virgin? Individually considered. Lord have mercy upon us. We just had a wedding on Friday night. And that girl promised that she would never think or look upon any other man but Austin for her lovemaking. Do you ever fall in love with this world? You are an adulterer. James 4, 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. That's spiritually meant, spiritually intended. Know ye not that the friendship of this world is enmity with God. So this Christ, 
that spoke in his last hours on earth in John 12 to us has delivered us from the power of the devil. Let us never commit treason against him and side up with that devil in anything. And let us never commit adultery against him who loved us and gave himself for us by being friending this world and flirting with this world. I hope that the drama that God gave you and put down in the pages of Scripture lights up your soul. It should. It's amazing what drivel and twaddle people will endure from Hollywood and call it a drama. This is a drama. And we are actors chosen by God that are taken out to eat afterwards into eternal heaven to be with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. He's made us the winning conquerors right along with him because we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Believest thou this? Then let's live it. May God... The Holy Spirit bless the preaching of his word.